You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and technology. And I'm Dimitri Vitsa, I'm the host, and I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music and technology PR firm. I'm here at NAM, the National Association of Music Merchandisers in Anaheim, California, which is insane. 120,000 people on a trade floor, drums, guitars, synths, drum machines, all sorts of cool software, and fog machines, lots of fog machines. And today I've got with me David Priz Prisgoda. It's really David Prisgoda, but you go by Priz, right? That's it. With Antares Technology. And uh, it's so cool to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to be here. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think the thing that I know about Antares is you guys are the ones behind AutoTune. And everyone's heard of AutoTune, but I bet a lot of people are not aware of the company behind us. So why don't you tell us about Antares Tech? Sure. Let me give you the the kind of the the history here. So I mean, we've actually been around quite a while. So we're we're going over 20 years now. So um, the technology was originated early 90s. Um, the inventor, Dr. Andy Hildebrand, actually worked in the um, geospatial uh, gas and mineral um, sector, Whoa. and he was a very brilliant scientist guy who was using sound waves to send into the earth and identify what's under there whether it's rock or gas or oil or whatever's going on and he, it was actually an accident how autotune came to be um, one of his wife's friends um, said i'm having this horrible problem i can't sing on pitch to save my life what's going on and he just thought about that for that statement for a second he said i can solve that and very quickly using existing technology that he had he developed autotune and that it was born um, and it was used for his friends and family at first and then um, really became popular when Cher came out with Believe in the 90s was the first kind of commercial pop hit that used autotune not as a pitch correction, um, as a transparent pitch correction, but as a vocal effect to actually build a song around and, and, and really, you know, be the basis of the vocal, vocal sounds. And it's been, you know, the rest is history. 20 years later, it's, you know, where we have... It's it's hard to hear a, a track that doesn't have autotune either in the transparent side of things or with the, the autotune effect built in. So so we know about autotune and now you've told us about this incredible history. I had no idea, and that is a crazy story and also a very interesting, cool one. But is there more that you guys do beside besides autotune? Yeah, there's a lot of things um, that we do. So we are a software company, and so we build tools. We're very focused on content creators and specifically vocals as part of the content creation process, right? So that you know, spans cross music, and that's what we're really famous for. Autotune pays the bills, um, certainly. But um, our technology is integrated into everything from consumer-facing apps. Um, there are applications for podcasting and gaming and all sorts of things that um, really our focus is making, helping content creators and artists realize their artistic vision with their vocal, whatever that is. Um, you know, obviously people know us for this autotune effect. Um, by all means, we do a lot more than that, and our software is used throughout the industry. Um, you know, on the high 90s percent of songs that you hear on on the radio and indie hits and everything else. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. So outside of um, AutoTune specifically, we do things like mic modeling. Um, so if you think about a content creator who's using a less than a professional microphone or recording on a mobile device, we can. Um, you know, model famous expensive microphones and make you sound a lot better. We have noise reduction technology and, and all sorts of different software that enhances the content creation experience around vocals. 
Wow, that's crazy. I, w- I would have thought, thought you know, with the origins in helping somebody sing on, on key, uh, it's interesting that there's so many other things that it now applies to as well. Um, so um, it's interesting to hear, hear how, far, how, far, how far things have gone as, as well there. Um, and what's your role at the company? So I'm the chief marketing officer. I'm actually the first marketing head of the company. Um, you know, what's, what's pretty interesting is, is Autotune became what it is without almost any marketing. Um, after Shares Believe and, and certainly with the rise of um, urban genres and electronic genres, music um, just became more and more popular and kind of had this flywheel effect um, for the brand and the company. Um, and so I joined this past summer as the first marketing lead, build out a team and, and help us um, better connect with our customers. We've been very focused on the professional market. You know, every major studio in the world has our technology. Um, it's available as a plug-in on DAWs. So, um, you know, music makers and, and that are doing it at home and students um, use our technology, but we really haven't done a good job of um, reaching out to a broader audience that's not professional. Um, part, part of that's a price point thing, you know, we're a premium uh, software tool, so our, our software can be fairly expensive. Um, and so I've been brought on to help build out a brand and a strategy to help um, reach more more customers and, and leverage all these wonderful technologies and work across technology partners, platform partners, applications, gaming, um, these other verticals that our, our off-the-shelf technology is a great fit for. So the model, is it, uh, is it oh, a lifetime purchase? Is it an annual purchase? Is it a monthly subscription? How does it, how does it work? Yeah, so currently we sell perpetual licenses. Um, so you know, we have a whole suite of, of plugins. Um, Autotune specifically ranges between $100 and $400 for a license, perpetual license. Um, but you know, there's definitely a trend in the industry um, you know, gravitating towards subscriptions and, and other business models that make it more affordable and lower the, the access point for customers. So we're looking um, you know, very closely at these things um, through our strategic partnerships and, and certainly within our own product launches that are uh, you know, slated for 2020. So here we are at NAM. There's tons of gear, tons of hardware. There's obviously software companies. There's DAWs here. What do you get out of being at NAM? Or yeah. what do you, maybe I should say, what have you, since it's a new role, what, have, what are you hoping to get out yeah, of Yeah, so I've been, you know, this is my fifth, fifth NAM here, so I'm certainly not new to the show. But, um, you know, we are lucky enough to have a, a broad range of partners that includes press, that includes uh, resellers and retail channels, um, and then also the industry folks. So whether that's these VIP, you know, top tier artists, producers, sound engineers, um, NAM's a great place, you know, obviously LA being a localized point, you know, uh, place in the country for, for media and entertainment. It's a great opportunity for us to come in, meet with all of these folks under one roof, show off our latest and greatest. Um, you know, we've slowly but surely, I think, built up our presence here at NAM over the years. I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, and it's just a great opportunity to have the conversations, get a pulse on what's happening in the industry, um, figure out, you know, obviously take, learn from the competition, from um, you know, from our partners, and then figure out how we incorporate that into our strategy and, and do a better job moving forward. So it's really just um, a one-stop shop for a team. We have several different teams that attend, um, and it's, we're packed with back-to-back meetings, um, and it, it's been you know, very fruitful for, for us so far. All right, I'm going to take this to another place. So I kind of have this sense that Autotune has gotten kind of a bad rap in the music industry. Hate to bring you on a podcast and say that. No, come on, <laughs> bring it. Yeah, but it's also super popular. 
um, and it's helped launch entire genres. You talked a little bit about that. Talk to me about this love-hate relationship the world has with autotune. Yeah, so I think certainly initially, you know, when we think about the late 90s and, and early 2000s, um, you know, there became a pop sound that was heavily focused on autotune, and I think that's prevailed even through today. Um, when people think of autotune, they think about the, the fast retune speed, the, the really the autotune effect as being uh, um, at the forefront of a song. And I think some music purists, uh, certainly initially, and, and I will say that it tends to be, um, you know, the older generation of music makers who feel the most strongly about this, felt that it was cheating somehow. Um, you know, I, I don't recall, I think the guitar tuner came out way before, you know, I started playing guitar, but I don't know if the guitar tuner got the same, um, you know, uh, re reception from those purists. But um, I think part of that stems from um, some similarities in the vocal style and this autotune effect that's so popular that artists love. And, and really, again, we don't want people to just sound a certain way. We want to enable creators to sound like whoever they want. I think what people underappreciate is that our technology is used on the songs where they don't hear us. Mm -hmm. and, and that transparent pitch correction is just important to the best singers in the world. Um, you know, I don't want to throw any artists under the bus that may or may not want to be associated with us, but um, it's really critical, and not just for the recorded music, but also for the live side of things, right? So if you're Post Malone or whoever you are, we have a great relationship with his team and, and a lot of other artists we can talk about, but um, you know, when you record a record that becomes popular, there's an expectation by the fans to have the same sonic identity when they perform live. And so we found in addition to the studio and that, that recorded side of music that we're you know, a critical part of the path. There's, there's very few artists now that will put out uh, any music that goes from jazz to folk to hip hop, EDM, whatever, um, that don't use pitch correction to tighten up the vocals because it just sonically sounds better if it's, um, and, and it tightens up a mix. People use auto-tune on instruments, which people don't know. So fretless basses, all kinds of uh, instruments, tightens up a mix it just makes a mix sound so much better and so you know there's been that negative perception but I think it's become such a critical part of the workflow for creating and producing music that we were well over that hump and if you talk to any professional in the industry they appreciate now the value that autotune adds both on making a record sonically sound better but also improving the speed and the workflow for producing content um, and then the live application, certainly, where you can match a sonic identity that you're already hearing on a record. So, you know, I think that there's a f probably a few haters still out there, um, but by and large, the pros know and rely on autotune. And, um, you know, we're seeing that th with the next generation of music makers as well. So you mentioned the live music. Is there a latency issue with recreating a sound that's in a recording? Yeah, so, so really our claim to fame and what enabled autotune to grow in popularity is that our plugins are very lightweight, real-time plugins. So we've actually gotten the technology so good that you can actually track now. So an artist can be in a vocal booth, similar to the studio we're in right now, and record listening to themselves auto-tune, which with CPUs, obviously when they weren't as powerful, that was a challenge. Um, but our software now, and one of our claims to fame is being this real-time, you know, imperceptible latency um, that allows both the live and um, you know the studio experience too that's that's not a factor anymore got you and you know the other thing that's interesting is so there's this idea of of pitch correction but there's also just kind of the timbre of the effect and i don't really know enough about autotune to know does it always have that kind of 
android robotic sort of you know human meets circuitry type sound to it yeah so that that's specifically a um one setting it's called the retune speed the faster you make the retune speed the more i'll say artificial um, that auto-tune effect that you hear so if you turn that retune speed down we also have other settings that um, for example uh, roll off the effect so if you hold a vote uh, hold a note sustain um, or you want to add inflections in, the, in, in your, your vocal take, it's imperceptible if you want it to be. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's really exciting, and the team's done a pretty amazing job with the feature set that gives the folks who want that auto-tune sound um, access to that. But you've heard so many songs by popular artists and folks you would never associate with auto-tune that are using our tools to make their vocal takes sound better, um, and it's imperceptible. So it's just a much more subtle use of it. It's a, a much more subtle use, and again, it, it's all about personal taste. Um, but we have some other great technology that, that's pretty popular in the industry. For example, we have technologies that create harmonizers automatically. Harmony Engine is, is an example. Um, for example, we have other um, plugins that create doubles and, and can mix vocals basically you know instead of recording several takes of a uh, of a track you can add embed vocal effects and modulate vocals all in a single plug-in so um, you know the auto-tune is one part of what we do um, but our, our tools are just so popular now in the industry and we, we, we get a lot of feedback and I think it's a really a testament to the relationship we have with the industry because a lot of the ideas for improving our technology come from the artist community the top tier producers engineers and artists themselves they have requests for what they're looking for and we try and help them realize their vision for their art when you get that kind of feedback and then you guys tweak some settings to help somebody reach their um, the sound they're looking for have you seen like that impacts like a whole scene, like a whole genre. I mean, I think about obviously hip hop and R&B have and pop and electronic music all have vocals that you can hear that more um, robotic effect that you talk about. But um, but I think about Afrobeats, the style of Afrobeats. There's not a song without it. And uh, I'm curious, have you seen some of the evolutions from feedback to artists yet turn into something more than just one song? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the feedback is. Um you know, not predicated on a, a style of music, more about a, a specific functional use case. Um, we see we see artists across different functions. For example, we have sound designers, we have composers, we have music for film. All of these artists come to us with different use cases and, and use our tools in different ways. Um, you know, I think a big trend that we're seeing with software in general, you know, the rise of artificial intelligence and machine learning, it, it just in general is ease of use. So there's less classically trained, traditionally trained musicians and more people who want to make music and have a, a, a motion and a, a, a vibe they want to achieve for their art. And, you know, I think what we're looking for is how do we improve the workflow and just get out of the way and let creators create whatever they want to do. You know, it's not about us. It's about the artist. So you mentioned, obviously we talked about autotune and pitch correction, and you mentioned the harmony piece as well. Are there other applications that you haven't told us about? You, uh, I think you said something about gaming and podcasting and uh, social media. Is there something there? Yeah, so I think just you know some general trends in, in content creation, especially that involve audio. Um, you know, I would, I would say that our technology falls into two main categories of use cases for content creators. The first would be personaliza personalization, um, you know, customizing an audio experience, making it sound better, tailoring it to what you want to achieve, right? That's the auto-tune, things like that. There's also this audio intelligibility 
component, right? So when you think about gaming and podcasting and even music as well, you know, so much of music these days is being recorded on a mobile phone or on the go in a hotel room or in a dorm room or a noisy environment with low-end equipment or applications. And our technology fits fits in very well with all of those workflows for content creators. So, you know, podcasting, again, you know, people are doing podcasts from a table or, you know, a closet in, in a room in their house and they might, a fire engine could go by or someone's talking, mom's yelling at them, uh, you know, there's a vacuum going, whatever it is. Um, so we have Sound Soap is one of our technologies, which is a professional um, software that basically cleans up audio. So if you have low quality video with a uh, low quality audio signal, um, you know, it can really clean that up. So, so we're looking at audio intelligibility. We're looking at personalized audio, um, you know, in terms of sounds and, and, and vibes for, for the, that, for, for vocals. And, and certainly it revolves around content creators and, and communication across all sorts of genres. We might need some of that soap for our podcast sometime. We definitely have had fire uh, fire engines in our yeah. in the back room, uh, in the background, and once had somebody doing a podcast for us at a kind of like in a podcast booth where we are now, which is why we're using our equipment rather than theirs because it ended up with a click track on the um, on the entire thing, and uh, our man Jade tried to uh, wipe it, but maybe we need some soap to soap it off. Yeah, we got all kinds of stuff, and I mean, you know, and that. It, everything from de-essers to distortion um you know we have a, a suite of technology and i think um you know folks will start to hear more about those other technologies not just autotune in the future um but you know you think about how many consumer apps um whether they're singing or content creation um you know the popularity of these apps with millions or billions of users they all need technology underlying technology that improves the quality of that vocal experience and um you know, I think people realize that as much as we all want to sound like a pro, we don't, you know, we sing off pitch or, you know, there's lots of, of um, you know, critiques we give to ourselves, and we're more critical of ourselves. So I think if we, you know, effortlessly give these content creators access to a better sounding them, they're very happy. And that's really the feedback we, we've gotten from the community. It's interesting in a way you can sort of think of it as the way, you know, uh, smartphones and Instagram have these visual filters. You guys are basically creating a more accessible audio filters to help people ch change the sound, but maybe have it give it give it a different quote look or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so you've been to Nam several times. Here we are. Um, uh, you're here for Ontarius now because of your role but you've been here a bunch. What are some of your favorite things to do when you're at NAMM, not just for work, but what do you actually enjoy? What, what do you like checking out? Uh, what, what companies do you always drop by? Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm a guitarist, uh, you know, again, not classically trained, but I've been playing guitar for, for a long time and I'm a, you know, home musician and, and engineer producer just on my own little, you know, for fun. Um, so I love getting a sense of what the trends are, the latest technology, uh, you know, I'm completely, uh, fascinated by this kind of democratization of content creation um, and this trend that's happening right now. And I'm impressed with a lot of different companies how um, easy they're making it for content creators both to create their art and then, you know, publish that art and, and get it heard by whoever they'd like, um, whether that's friends and family, whether that's, you know, across a major, uh, you know, music service. Um, but, you know, for me, um, even being a guitarist and I love hardware, um, the software side of things for me is just fascinating. 
Um, there's a lot of small companies that are doing amazing things, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of that tech starts to make its way into larger platforms. And um, yeah, so for me, it's all about software here at NAM in terms of where the interest is. Um, but certainly, I, I, you know, if, if you're into music instruments and, and gear, um, whether you're a DJ or a guitarist or a horn player, I mean, this is the place um, to come. But software is where it's at from my point of view. It's interesting because when you walk in and you look, what you see is a lot of hardware. And I came to NAMM for the first time last year in 2019. And uh, I, was, I was interested in where's the innovation. And the first day, you know, I'm roaming around getting my head crashed by cymbals and drums and you know, you see some scratching and, and, you know, a lot, a lot of the public stuff that's out on the, the boulevard outside is like straight up rock. There's just tons of rock and roll. And, uh, it made me wonder, Oh shoot, did I come to the wrong conference? But then over time you find the nooks and crannies and you find there's some more, um, new technologies, innovators, new types of controllers that have much smaller booths. And, uh, and then obviously the software is around too. Although I noticed some of the software companies don't have booths this year either. And so you kind of have to stumble into them on the, on the floor. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a tough business to be in. Um, there's a lot of smaller companies and it's not cheap to exhibit at these shows. Um, so yeah, there's, there's folks that are making it, you know, any way they can. I think there's some great partnerships where folks will piggyback on, on other um, strategic partners, booths and things like that. But um, certainly I think one of the biggest opportunities if I was going to start a business um, focused around NAM, I would be selling earplugs outside the, <laughs> the doors. I think that, you know, that's a, the, that's, a, that's unicorn, a unicorn business plan right there. <laughs> yeah. You need that kind of thing here too. And you know, the cool thing is there's so many people from all over the country, um, all over the world that you literally bump into people who you want to be meeting anyway. You know, you go outside to get lunch. There's like a huge line of the food trucks, although I am impressed with how fast they've got those food truck lines down. And the next thing you know, you see someone you know, a partner, a client, or possibly someone you were hoping to meet anyway. So you literally bump into your opportunities at NAM. Are there any, um, are there any like tips if somebody's going to come to NAM next year for the first time of, uh, not, not like, not the, um, where you bring your chapstick and wear comfortable shoes, not the regular mm-hmm. conference, but stuff specific to the culture of NAM. I mean, do you check out panels and sessions? Do you go to parties or showcases? Do you just walk the floor? Are there good restaurants nearby that you like? Uh, are there any, any companies that you could only see here? They don't come to South by Southwest or CES or anything else. Yeah. I think my, my advice to, um, attendees versus exhibitors would be pretty different, but, um, one tip, um, uh, Pamela on our team recommended, which seems to make perfect sense, and I think I'll take her up. Um, you know, going forward is you know piggyback a Disneyland trip. If you're coming to Nam, you're already down here. You might as well uh, you know go see the Magic Kingdom and get some rides in. But um, she's not she's not the only one either. Uh, you know, we work with CD Baby and the VP of Marketing, Kevin Bruner, told me he frequently meets a family member and goes off to Disneyland. I haven't done it myself yet, but uh, yeah, there's a lot going on right here. Well, and that's and that's the other point. I think you, you just touched on it. Is there there's so much going on? It's a very noisy show both from a, a decibel level but also from a content perspective and, a, and things to see perspective I think uh, like anything else it's good to plan ahead so for example you know there's an app um, you can get um, a list of the events the talks that are happening each day you can get maps on where stuff is if you wander around aimlessly you'll basically just get a headache and probably not see all the things you want to see so I think having a, a focused approach and you know what are the most important things you want to see? Who are the most important people you want to see? Um, and where those locations are? Um, honestly, half the action in NAM is happening outside of the convention center, you know, whether it's at the hotels surrounding the area, um, special events at 
bars and clubs and things like that. A lot of the business um, here at NAM happens outside of the show. Um, so I think it's just important to have a game plan, you know, talk with your team or if you're, you're an attendee, you just want to have a plan. It's like, what's the most important? What are the things I have to see and just, you know, figure out in advance. Otherwise, you know, you'll be a trumpet player stuck in the flute section and it won't be, be relevant to you. And that does happen. It's almost like, uh, almost like a, um, a mirror house or something where you're like, how, do, how do I get out of it? It's huge. The Anaheim convention center is so huge. And sometimes you just literally feel lost you can't find a bathroom you can't find the exit you get outside and you have no idea where you are that's awesome well Pris this has been fun having you on is there anything you want to plug or ways folks can reach out to you social media platform of choice or anything else you want to throw into the mix before we wrap it up yeah um, you know I'll just say autotune.com you can learn all about our, our company um, you know we, we have some exciting things planned this year we're not announcing anything here at NAM, um, but um, you know we hope folks will check us out and if they want to learn more they can go to our website um, follow us on social media and we'll yeah we'll, we'll do our best to to give them give them the education they need on how to use our, our vocal t- vocal tools to sound you know as professional as possible awesome well thanks for joining us Priz. thanks for having us dimitri and thank you for listening to music tectonics please hit subscribe on your podcasting app because you probably want to check out our other interviews we've done at nam uh, with Avid, with Moog, with Reason, um, lots of great uh, other ones coming up. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with more soon. Listening to Music Tectonics.